Want to stay ahead of fraudsters and across the latest scams? At which we helped prevent an estimated £1.8 million in scam losses last year thanks to our Scam Alert newsletter. And each week we provide more information on the latest scam activity, helping protect you, your family and your friends. Stay in the know and avoid falling victim to scammers by joining over 450,000 people already signed up to our free Witch Scam Alerts. To join them, head to witch.co.uk slash scam alert and sign up today. When life gives you questions, which get answers. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Rob Lilly, in Felucci Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. Credit scores are incredibly popular, incredibly useful as well, because, I mean, if you uh, got hold of a copy of your own credit report, Rob, you'd probably find quite a lot of information on there. And you might, you know, to the untrained eye, you'd be thinking, well, what does this actually mean? In 2021, Citizens Advice Bureau analysed more than 18,000 car insurance costs and found that even when controlling for factors like an area's crime rate or deprivation, Um, On average, people of colour paid £250 more a year than white people. This week, we're delving into our financial data, asking how private that information really is and uncovering what firms really know about us. We'll also be discussing what they might be doing with the data and how it could impact the decisions we're able to make with our money. And to help us find out more this week, I'm pleased to say we are welcoming back Wits journalist Megan Thomas and we're also joined by James Jones, Head of Consumer Affairs at Experian. Welcome both. Hello. Hello. It is brilliant to have you here. First place to start. We are, of course, talking about financial data this week because of your piece that you've written for the March issue of our money magazine, Megan. So why was this something that we wanted to look into in the first place? So we often hear from our members that they're uncomfortable with the amount of their data and sort of their privacy that they feel like they have to forego just to engage really with modern life. Um, And some of the excellent work of my colleagues, you know, looking at the privacy and loyalty cards or smart tech in your home really made me wonder how those sort of same thoughts apply to the financial sector. So that's why we started looking into this. Well, there's plenty to plenty to go into, of which, of course, we will we will talk on today's podcast. James, at Experian, fair to say you are perfectly placed to tell us about what impact the data that these firms hold can have on our financial choices, especially I'm talking about our credit score. Now, can you tell us a bit more about the work that Experian does and then maybe go into a bit more detail about what this data can tell us about a person? Sure, thanks. Yes, so uh, Experian is a a global data technology firm, uh, but we're probably best known by the public for running major credit reference agencies in many of the countries that we operate in, including the UK. So we we collect information to that part of the business. We collect information from banks, lenders, other organisations that provide accounts that have some sort of credit element. We augment that with relevant records from public registers like CCJs. And then that's available to lenders to help them decide um, what sort of credit to offer to their customers. And how does that relationship work? Do they legally have to provide you with that information? Well, the the, the industry players, the, the banks, the lenders and so on, uh, they choose to work with the credit reference agencies because it basically helps them 
sort of run their businesses because they have kind of regulatory responsibilities to not lend to people who can't afford to repay. Most of them are commercial organisations, so they're trying to turn a bit of a profit at the end of the year. Um, so it's it's not in their interest to lend to people that simply can't afford to pay back or that have shown through their kind of borrowing history for whatever reason, they don't stick to their repayment schedules. So so the incentive there is for lenders to work together through the credit reference agencies. So we act really as a, a go-between in the data sharing process to really just help credit work in the UK. And obviously one of the, the key things in this area, of course, is, is credit scores. So can you remind us a bit more about their importance, I suppose, when it comes to things like lending and, and other interactions that we might have with banks or financial institutions? Yeah, sure. I mean, credit scores are incredibly um popular, incredibly useful as well, because I mean, if you uh, got hold of a copy of your own credit report, Rob, you probably find quite a lot of information on there. And you might, you know, to the untrained eye, you'd be thinking, well, what does this actually mean? So what a credit score does is actually boils down all that information into a single three digit number on a, in terms of experience scores on a scale to naught to 999, uh, that essentially communicates the risk uh, of lending you money. Uh, so the higher the score, the lower the risk. So uh, we provide guide scores to the public. You know, the, the incentive really is to work with us. We've got lots of guidance on the Experian website to see how high you can get your number because that will ultimately support, you know, your your goal, your financial goals. And presumably that will, as you mentioned there, that will open up opportunities to maybe get increased lending and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Scores are used by, by lenders uh, sort of at the beginning of the customer relationship to decide whether to say yes or no. And for the yeses, sometimes what to offer, the, you know, the sort of interest rates and credit limits and so on. So, for example, someone might be applying for a, a credit card, for yeah. example. Yeah, a credit card, a loan, a mortgage, for example. I mean, it, it predicts the chances of you missing a payment in the next 12 months. That's what our scores technically do. Uh, so, obviously, that's of huge interest to any organisation you're asking to borrow money from and, uh, you know, they're expecting a regular payment from. But uh, lenders can also come back to credit scoring during the life of the, the relationship with their customers. For example, if you go to your current account provider and ask them to increase your overdraft limit, they might run a new credit check and a credit score to update their knowledge uh, based on, you know, the whole industry of what your financial situation is like right now. Knowing that we were going to do this on the podcast this week, I checked my credit score at the weekend, <laughs> above average. I'm pleased, okay. to, I'm pleased to say, <laughs> above average. Good so. to hear. Yes, exactly. I was very pleased to see that. And also, I said there, I've checked my credit score. If someone else listening to this wants to do the same thing, how would they go about doing that? How easy is it to do? Uh, well, you can check your credit report for free by law with each of the three main credit reference agencies. So you go, go to any of the websites of Experian, TransUnion, Equifax, you'll see links to do that. Some of us also provide a kind of a guide credit score to help you understand what that means in the real world. You can get that directly from Experian. We give everyone access to a free Experian membership. Uh, and the other companies uh, tend to actually work through third parties. So, I mean, if you, you, know, you Google that, you'll find those services, I'm sure. Brilliant. Oh, well, that's, that's very helpful. I'm sure many people listening to this might go off and, and do that after they finish listening to this episode. But Megan, can we go into a bit more detail then? Big question, but what do these firms then know about us? Might listeners be surprised at how much information that uh, th they can get hold of? Yeah, so big question, big answers, so please bear with me. <laughs> and uh, when we were in the office earlier on, you said, it's quite a big answer. Am I okay to run through it all? Yes, you are, because it's important. Right. So to start off with, you know, unsurprisingly, financial services know what you tell them. So you sign up to a product, you maybe fill in a form, your name, your address, that sort of thing. So they obviously know that information about you. 
Um, but beyond that, there are a lot of open data sources that companies might use. Um, so there's something like the land registry or the electoral roll. Or maybe, and as a slightly extreme example, say you've appeared in a news story or you've posted on your social media. Talk about how much you love to drive really fast. <laughs> um, it's actually in the privacy policies of insurers that they might use that information. So it's not just what you tell them. And beyond information that is necessary for the products that you use or that you apply for, um, some data is also collected for marketing purposes. So credit reference agencies, as we've discussed, um, Experian and Equifax, estimate some characteristics about you for marketing purposes. I put in some subject access requests, so that's when you can request to see all the data that a company has about you. Um, I put some of them into all three credit reference agencies to find out what marketing information was out there about me personally. Um, and I found quite a lot. So Equifax had a couple of estimated f- fields. So they had like my marital status, my gender, um, while Experian had a broader range and more specific details like what life stage I was in and how likely I was to pay for financial advice. Experian also placed me in specific segments um, that their commercial clients could use to understand what I'm probably like. So they can find me if they think I'd make a well-suited customer or what communications might suit me if I'm already a customer. So, for example, one of the segments I was in was young adults with sophisticated online behaviour making full use of modern devices and social media. Well, I think that is you to a T. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that you maybe might not expect to be um, held about you, but is out there. And I think it's actually really important to make clear here that these estimated characteristics have no influence on your credit score or they're not part of your credit report and vice versa. So um, your credit information will never be passed on to marketing clients. Um, and if you want to find out more, you can look in Experian's um, consumer information portal. Um, so yeah, that's my big answer. Of <laughs> no, well, as I said, all very important. So you are, you're very welcome to have taken, uh, taken hold of the podcast for, for that long. <laughs> but Obviously, you mentioned actually subject access requests. So we've already talked today about how easy it is to, to check your credit score. How easy is it to, to do your own subject access request? Not that easy to say, as it turns <laughs> out, but how, how easy is it to do? I think it depends on who you're applying to. So for me personally, I actually ran into quite a lot of issues. Um, but I think that's because of the scale of the number of subject access requests I was trying to put in. Some are very simple. So I would say the credit reference agencies, because it's quite a common thing, I think more so with them than with, say, banks or other firms that I was applying to. The, this, it's maybe a simple form or you send off an email to an obviously signposted address um, and then you follow different processes. But actually the processes differ a lot from one firm to the next. So it can be a little bit tricky. So it's, um, it's not a one size fits all then. It, it, it does vary. A little bit, yeah. But broadly, you'll kind of need your recent um, address history. Maybe you'll need um, forms of verification of your address and your identity, but not always. So like Experian and Equifax don't necessarily need that. And we talked about the information, obviously, that they can potentially hold about 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 us. You know, you said you, you searched it for yourself. I mean, is there a timeline for how long this type of information can be, can be kept on record? And, and, you know, are there rules around how long banks, for example, can keep information about us? So it will differ, like obviously, as long as you're using a service, um, a firm will hold the relevant data. Um, And in some cases, it will be for a long time after. So banks specifically will usually hold your data for up to six to 10 years um, after you close account, which obviously can sound uh, quite long. 
Um, and you can check a specific bank's privacy policy to see how long they hold on to information. In reality, it's important for banks to have a record of customers for things like fraud prevention, anti-money laundering regulations, and complying with HMRC. And, and James, what about Experian? How long would, would Experian kind of keep hold of Yeah, of I mean, the, the Data Protection Act in the UK provides a, a, a framework uh, that acts as a guide in terms of how organisations like ours, you know, should uh, administer personal information, uh, the data protection principles, and they talk about, you know, information not being excessive, not being kept for longer than it's needed, uh, being uh, kind of kept kept accurate and up to date. So certainly, you know, those are funda- fundamental principles that we run our business to. In terms of credit reports, the information generally goes back six years uh, because beyond that, it, it becomes less and less valuable in terms of predicting the future. Some of the records actually only stay for 12 months. So records of credit applications you make, because again, beyond that period of time, they don't uh, actually serve much purpose. So we really do keep information for only as long as we think it's actually useful. So talking about this information and the information that is, is held about us, people listening to this podcast right now, maybe one of the most concerning aspects around all of this is concerns reported by the Financial Services Consumer Panel. So they reported that they'd actually found evidence of ethnicity and disability bias around access and pricing to certain products. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes. So the Financial Services Consumer Panel put together a review in September 2023 of all the evidence available on um, how personal data is used in um, financial services and decision-making and things like that. And they reported a high concern with evidence of ethnicity and disability bias around access and pricing to certain products specifically. They also found there was bias against disabled people in the level of cover offered. So when you apply for a financial product, they obviously don't ask for your ethnicity. They don't ask whether you're disabled. Um, So I think it's natural to be like, well, why would that happen? But the data used to assess risk can actually be correlated with these protected characteristics. The panel raised concerns about the use of postcode specifically as a proxy for sort of these other things. In 2021, Citizens Advice Bureau analysed more than 18,000 car insurance costs and found that even when controlling for factors like an area's crime rate or deprivation, um, on average, people of colour paid £250 more a year than white people. Wow. And this rose to £280 when there's a high proportion of people of colour living in a specific area. Wow. I mean, Megan, that's all very eye-opening stuff. And and when we come back, we'll be hearing more about the things that you can do to take back control of your data, as well as hearing some handy tips to help improve that all-important credit score. So that's all after this quick break, and we'll be back shortly. Like listening to podcasts just like this one from the team at Witch? Well, we've got some good news. All our podcasts are now available to listen to on YouTube and YouTube Music. So whether you like listening to Get Answers, Witch Shorts or Witch Money, all episodes can now be listened to directly on YouTube or through the YouTube Music app. To find them, just search for the podcast you'd like to listen to. YouTube's additional functionality also means that you can now read along with subtitles as you listen. Don't panic though, all which podcasts are still available to listen to elsewhere too. So wherever you listen, we'll see you soon. (laughs) 
So Megan, it isn't just the likes of credit reference agencies like Experian, of course, who uh, James is here from today, that hold our data. Can you tell us more about where our personal data might surface? Where else might it come up? Because, of course, there are plenty of vulnerability concerns here as well, aren't there? Yeah, so data breaches are a huge risk for consumers. Um, and I guess, naturally, the more places your information is, the more vulnerable you are, because you know each place could be susceptible to a breach. Um, High-profile data breaches in recent years have highlighted the challenges um, companies face in preventing personal information from falling into the wrong hands. So in October of last year, the FCA fined Equifax £11 million for poor oversight of its data management, um, because this led to one of the biggest cybersecurity breaches ever, where more than 13.8 million customers had um, personal information leaked. Wow. A huge breach. Absolutely massive in scale. Yeah, and it was some, you know, personal information. There was some um, details about credit cards, you know, um, your email address, your home address. Um, so it's really scary for the people involved. Absolutely, and, and therefore vital that, that something is, is done to make sure things like this don't happen again in, in the future. James, listeners to today's episode, they might be worried that once they're profiled, in inverted commas, then, you know, there isn't much they can do to change how they're perceived by lenders. Maybe there isn't much that they can do to to change how they're seen by these financial organisations. Is that the case? Can you give people listening to this a bit of optimism that you can change how you are viewed, I suppose, by these organisations? Well, certainly in terms of your credit report information, it simply reflects the facts, as we discussed, generally going back six years. So even if, for example, you got into problem debt and you came out the other side and managed your finance as well, you know, for for a few years, um, eventually that negative information would just automatically wipe from your record. Um, So you can certainly rehabilitate a poor credit history and improve your your credit score. These things aren't set in stone. Uh, If, you know, if any of your listeners are tracking their experience score, then they'll probably notice their score fluctuates on a regular basis. That's as the information sort of changes and comes in and disappears. So these things are, are actually quite uh, quite fluid. So uh, we certainly have lots of customers that are on journeys to try and improve uh, their you know their credit worthiness in the eyes of of lenders. Uh, lots of great guidance on our website, also on your on the Which Money website. Um, and there are lots of things you can do to, uh, to to build a better credit rating to help you in the future. So then, James, you've, you've teed us up nicely. So on this, how might someone be able to improve their credit score? What are some of the things that you can do? Well, it's always going to depend on your personal circumstances. But, uh, you know, some of the common things uh, some people might be able to do to improve uh, the picture their credit report information paints of their financial circumstances, which will then go on to hopefully impress a lender in the future, are register to vote. So Megan mentioned that it's register earlier. We actually include it in people's credit reports because it helps lenders check your name, address, your periods of residence. So that's quite a useful thing uh, for, for lenders to be able to do quickly and easily. But alongside that, essentially your credit history, your credit report uh, shows your borrowing track record, your propensity to pay on time. That's an important question for lenders. So, you know, use direct debits, for example, so you don't forget and miss the odd payment. Maybe you've gone on holiday or you might be in hospital for, for a procedure or something like that. That that can help safeguard. If you you've ha- have, for, for whatever reason, missed a payment, um, then time is actually a great healer. Because if it's the most recent payment, it, it will actually kind of take a chunk out of your credit score in all likelihood for the next couple of months but actually beyond that you'll find the impact lessens quite quickly 
if you don't have much credit history, and we've done a lot of work experience in, the, uh, in recent years highlighting the plight of the so-called credit invisibles, um, then again, lots of guidance on the website on the steps you can take to actually start to piece together a financial track record. Think of it as your borrowing CV. You don't want a blank piece of paper because uh, that's going to raise more questions and provide answers to lenders. So, you know, getting a bank account, getting some sort of like a credit bill, a credit card, getting some of the household bills, if you pay by monthly direct debit, those are credit accounts in your name and start to build a, a, a positive track record in terms of how you manage those accounts. Um, so those are, those are some of the things you can do. Obviously, as I say, it depends on your circumstances. If you've had bad debts in the past, then making sure those are paid off and updated on your credit report is satisfied. That's an important thing to do. If you've been in a relationship in the past uh, where the other person wasn't good with money and actually things have now ended, um, it's worthwhile actually contacting all three credit reference agencies and asking for something called a financial disassociation. Um, money and relationships are incredibly you know, complicated, aren't they? And we're, we're actually running a podcast of our own at the moment called Cost of Loving to help people <laughs> think about these sorts of things. How did you things. come up with that title? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's being incredibly well received. But these are, I, th I think, as Brits, are maybe a little bit reticent to talk about money full stop. Um, so we're trying to sort of tackle that and encourage certainly people in relationships to be open about money, talk about their kind of financial situations, maybe not revealing your credit score on a dating website, <laughs> uh, but certainly a conversation a bit further down the line. And James, just remind us the name of the podcast. The Cost of Loving podcast. How could you forget? I should say as well that we've got plenty of episodes of the Money podcast here. Of course, if you scroll down the feed, dedicated to couple finances as well. So maybe go and, and check those out. And finally, Megan, what are the things that people can do to take back control of their data? Are there many options out there to help people do this? Luckily, it's really easy to take steps to opt out of these things. Um, you just need to know that you want to do it, basically. Um, so firstly... You can opt out of the open electoral roll, so you can still be registered to vote, but your name won't be on, uh, an address won't be passed on, because um, you can just buy access to the electoral roll. Um, you can also opt out of your data being used for marketing purposes on credit reference agencies. So, for example, on Experience Consumer Information Portal, it's really easy to just click opt out. Um, or you can file a deletion request for non-credit related info with some of them or just for other firms that don't maybe have it as easily available. Um, and you can also do what I did and put in subject access requests to see what information is out there about you because you might not be in a rush to get rid of it, but you're a bit curious. Oh, well, Megan, thank you so much for, for joining us, talking us through everything. And, and obviously people can read your piece in the March issue of our Witch Money magazine for all subscribers. And uh, James as well, thank you for joining us. So thank you both for being here. Great, thanks for having us. My pleasure. Well, a huge thank you to Megan and James for coming on the show today and to you as well, of course, for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please do hit subscribe to make sure you catch our new episodes as soon as they drop. For daily money news and advice, you can find us on social media. We're at Witch Money and we're online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. And we also have our free money newsletter. This is delivered to your inbox every Monday. And to sign up, you can visit witch.co.uk forward slash money newsletter. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was written, produced and presented by me, Rob Lilly-Jones, recorded by Adrian Bradley and edited by James Rowe. You've probably heard of Witch Magazine, our home of hard-hitting journalism and informative stories delivered directly to our members. There's our travel, money and tech mags too. But did you know you can hear some of our best articles for free, available to listen to whenever you like? Each week on the Witch Shorts podcast, we bring you a specially selected story, lovingly voiced and produced especially for you, 
on a whole range of fascinating topics. Just search Witch Shorts wherever you're listening.